Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hi, I'm Christian Milau here, CEO of Equinox Gold. And we're probably the fastest growing intermediate gold company out there. And uh, we have seven producing mines and four growth projects and moving our way towards a million ounces of gold production in the next couple of years. So exciting times. And, uh, you know, maybe turn it over to you for questions. Christian, good to have you back on. I've seen you for about 18 months. You've been uh, busy building a company, as you say. But share price, where's it all gone wrong? Yeah, it's been it's been a definitely a tough, I'm going to say a year or so, maybe a little over a year. And, you know, you can blame a little bit on the general markets and a sort of lack of interest in gold. But uh, we've had one specific issue for sure that we've been dealing with. And ever since we acquired Leah Gold, which happened, I guess it was closed on March 12th, I think it was in 2020. Since then, We've really struggled with uh, Los Filos in Mexico, and that mine is is really not had one full operational quarter. I think un- uninterrupted. You know, we had COVID hit it, and it was down for quarter two last year, and then we had a blockade after that, and then we had another kind of blockade and a half this year as well. So it just sort of seems to have gone uh, uh, terribly difficultly. Uh, hopefully, we resolve that, and we've definitely stepped in, and we did change some of the senior management to an experienced. Uh, Spanish speaker who's worked only in Mexico pretty much their whole career for versus what we had in there that probably was a little less experienced in that area. And, and since then, we've been kind of building that relationship back up, but we've had to take a fairly hard stance and view on a couple of these issues around the blockades. And, um, you know, we just can't accept that kind of behavior as the ways to resolve, call it disputes or, or issues. And, and, you know, they really stem from call it two communities, particularly wanting more of the economics of the new areas that we're investing in, the new two new ore deposits. And so we're willing to share jobs and, and contracts and things like that, but uh, we can't do that to the detriment of other communities and, and other workforce members. And so in a way, that's been the crux of trying to stabilize the relationship, get sort of an understanding of that there's three communities here, not just one in each of these areas. And um you know, I'm happy to dive into more detail on that, but we've come to resolution, I think, with these groups, I hope, and we don't go back there, but it'll take time to rebuild that trust and it won't happen over a quarter or two. Okay, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind a bit more detail, but but in a minute, I want, I want to start at the top and work work, work the way down. So it's been a tough year. You, you can blame the markets. Philo is, is a contributing factor, but your costs are still high. Um when, when are you going to be able to reduce those costs? Because obviously, I think people saw you, you, you did well when gold was shooting up towards 2000. Gold at 1700, we're still not bad, but compared to the, you know, your average ASIC number here, people are looking and going, well, actually, this, this is a bit close. Something else goes wrong. You know, these guys aren't making as much money. They're, I'm a little bit nervous. Is that too simplistic a way to look at this? Um, well, no, it's, it's correct in terms of the actual numbers right now, but um, we, we really are investing in our assets to get them to that cost base level that, that really improves them. And um, we sort of said pretty clearly the first half of this year was really about investing in particularly RDM and Mesquite through, call it major pushbacks, which had, call it less ore and lower grades, et cetera, going up to the leach pad or through the mill. And in the second half of this year, we're starting to see certainly Mesquite turning that corner as we've invested, you know, almost $50 million in some stripping there. And RDM has a almost two-year program of stripping that that uh, it's still producing actually decent cash flow, but it's a two-year period of getting that ore deposit opened up. And then Philos has been overhanging that from a higher level that, uh, you know, with the inconsistent production of a big leach operation, leaching operation, the costs have been high. 
And it's going to take us some time to turn that around in the long term. We want to put a CIL plant in there that will bring that cost down. But part of the overall strategy here was kind of some base hits, some assets that maybe needed some work or some development or rebuilding. And as you improve those, do some exploration, as well as build out these growth projects, your average cost comes down over time. So it's an investment phase that we're in and, you know, we'll be improving gradually here. But the big hits are when you get uh, Santa Luz in production beginning of next year, you get Greenstone in production in 2024. You've got a couple other mines beyond that as well that'll have improved costs. So it's a, a gradual process here. But you've moved from an M&A team into one that needs to be an operator, I mean, an efficient operator, um, one one that can show the market that you've, you're you going to be able to execute your plan, right? So you want to be a million ounce a year producer. That's the goal. That's what you said yep. to the marketplace, okay? So you need to show that you can do that without the hiccups, with the reducing um, cost, with the increase, increase in production, around whatever 600,000 ounces at the moment. So you're, you're well on your way there. Have you got the team to do that? Have you got, lost the M&A mindset and moved into operational mindset? And have you had to acquire people to allow you to do that? Yeah, it's, it's been evolving. And, and this year, we've purposely, since Doug Reddy's taken over as COO, he's been building out his skill set and team here in Vancouver. And we brought in some uh, people's experience in operations on the ground, building bigger projects, um, technical skills that maybe we didn't have to the depth that we needed here in Vancouver. And so that's now sitting there in a team that's ready to support, oversee, and and really be the oversight of these big projects and, and the growth and M&A, or integration of that M&A. Where in the past, you, you're right, it was a little bit more lean, nimble, entrepreneurial. And I'd say we're we're building that out without trying to be too big in corporate. You know, we, we still want to keep a bit of a, a creative entrepreneurial edge to us. And that's Ross Beattie's M- MO, really, historically. Yeah, but there's this kind of crossover point where the the entrepreneur entrepreneurial spirit is to the detriment of the um, the the consistency um, to the the you know, the planning etc. Do you know what I mean? You've got to get the balance right because in a very meaningful way, I don't care what your projects are. I care that you get to this one million ounce. Uh, number that you, you're telling me about, and I care that you can do that efficiently and, and making money consistently. And you're 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 doing that sort of risk mitigation across the board in every single way that that needs to happen. Do you know what I mean? So you, you people start looking at you differently when you're two billion or you know previously you know bigger than that four billion dollar company. I stop worrying about the the kind of detail. I'm worried about the delivery, the bottom line. So is, is I mean, have you changed that mentality internally as well? Yeah, absolutely. It's more of a portfolio effect now that we've got to manage the overall portfolio and deliver. You know, we do have to deliver on a quarterly basis, but we still have got our our view out there for the next few years. And as you said, we want to get to that million ounces of production by call it run rate sometime in 2024. And that's when you become more of that cash flow machine that ultimately is going to be paying a dividend to shareholders. And so we don't want to lose sight of that longer term objective. And we still have to deliver on the quarterly results, but we don't want to do anything to the detriment of that long-term objective. And, you know, we've really set that pattern, that uh, ambitious growth goal. And, you know, growth at the moment in this sector, yeah, it's probably not overly loved because I think people are looking for cash flow and consistency and and, um, a dividend being paid, but that will come back in due course. And uh, very few companies of a scale of ours, sort of mid-tier and above, have much growth. And I think you will see some M&A, you'll see some investment in these smaller assets. And, you know, we've got that in our portfolio now, and it's fully funded. So 
I think it's a really interesting environment to be looking at a company like ours. And, you know, from a purely uh, personal perspective, myself, Ross, and the whole management team were buying stock in August. We were like, wow, you get to buy this stock at less than $8 a share. You know, we're a bit above that right now, but we were going, what an incredible opportunity in kind of a, a decent gold market, but a, a terrible sentiment market for the equities. And so it was a really interesting time this summer. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's a line that most most CEOs will throw at it now. We, our, st- our stock is cheap. What a, what a buying opportunity. But but the reality is that people are perceiving the sum of the parts not um, as as valuable as as you would you would want them to, be, as they possibly have have in the past. I mean, what, what's the, what's the one thing you'd actually put that down to? It's it's not just the market and, and gold price coming off. Is is it? Do you think that they've lost faith in the management's team to deliver this consistency? Um, in terms of the the answers or the fact that you, you, it's this slight immaturity in the, in the way that you're approaching your communications with the market. I mean, what's been thrown at you? You're at Beaver Creek. You're at Den- you're at Denver. What was being thrown at you there? I think the two major things, and we've already touched on the one, is, is resolving Philos in a longer term manner that ideally doesn't see that come back again. So that's one thing we need to get behind us. And the other one is really about execution. That's been the big question. Can you execute on these big projects? Can you keep them going sequentially? Can you fund them and turn these into good cash flow machines, essentially? And, you know, in a sense, it may be a wait and see for some investors and we'll have to just prove it. But uh, when you look at the last three years, when I include this year, we'll have built a mine per year, um, taking mines that had historical challenges, recapitalizing them, getting them up and running. And you know, I think we've done a pretty good job of that. And Santa Luz will be the next one, which will be done around this year end. And then Greenstone will be the big one that we'd like to announce, you know, in quarter four, certainly uh, late this year, that we're in full construction and set a really good timeline and that CapEx number and then deliver on it. And it's a big Canadian project that I think will be a cornerstone to our success as a management team and, and a board on, in terms of delivery and, and uh, execution. Are you saying more, is this more market commentary from you are you seeing as as, as now a, a producer uh, um of you know well significant producer are you seeing the local communities taking the opportunity to ask for more and get more from mining companies because we're seeing lots of issues you've had blockade issues we, we've seen that across multiple jurisdictions do you think the ESG narrative is helping their cause? Is it something that you mind? Do you think it's something that they are entitled to? Do you think mining needs to up its game? I mean, how, how are you as an organization viewing and tackling that? And in fact, who's tackling that internally? Yeah, I mean, ESG has become such a prominent, uh, important factor in everything we do. And I think a lot of mining companies do a much better job than maybe they're perceived to because uh, it is a cornerstone part of what we do. I mean, we're in local communities. You need to employ and give contracts and you know, actually give back into those communities. And it should just be sort of like health and safety, it should be something you do on an everyday basis. And one of the things I think we've been poor at as a mining group, um, generally as a sector, but maybe even with us as a new company is really communicating it. So getting your, your forms of communication, your tools up to speed, building out that team. And that's actually been the number one growth area other than the pure technical skills in Vancouver is ESG. And um, your cost of capital will go up if you don't get better. So we're going to be looking at that whole carbon emissions, net zero, all that side of it. But I think the real crux and basics are what are we doing on the ground? And, you know, we had a couple of good examples over the last year and, and Los Feliz being one where 
I do think the communities are looking for more generally. Certain ones are definitely more active. They're learning how to harness social media and to work with NGOs and that probably to get uh, more, call it uh, leverage than they normally had historically. And social media is a double-edged sword. It could be good for us. It could be difficult for us as well. And uh, an interesting example was in Arizona, we had historic, historic floods in the first part of the year and social media and a couple of NGOs are reporting them as tailings dam failures. And so for us, it was just a terrible uh, social media issue that we had to deal with. There was absolutely nothing wrong with our tailings dams and all our infrastructure was in good shape. But um, that misinformation, you have to counter it and deal with it. And in social media, it's a, it's a world that once it gets away from you, it can be hard to control in that environment. And so I think we're also learning how to deal with that. And it can make a small group of people very call it powerful in terms of their voice. And so I think us as a company have to get ahead of it in terms of all those good things we are doing in these communities, communicating them more regularly, um, making them available to investors, but also to those communities and to governments as well. And governments are taking a very strong interest because um, a lot of voters are, are now voting with an ESG hat on as well, or a, certainly a, a green angled hat for sure. Well, yeah, if you look at the German elections, they, they took a significant slice of the of the pie there. Yeah, that, 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 it's, it's, it's an interesting one. They, they're sort of two-edged sword of, of, of social media. It can be be your friend and your ally, but, but in equal measure, yeah. if you don't have a response to some of the things which are out, misinformation, I think it's, it can be problematic for you guys. Um, so just so we're coming back to the numbers, um, you've got, you're sitting on a, well, talk us through, how much, how much cash are you sitting on? Yeah, we're probably about 330 million of cash right now. Um, we've got a couple hundred million available in our revolving credit facility. We're sitting on four to five hundred million dollars of investments in Solaris and I eighty, um, generating decent cash flow, and so we've got a pretty good balance sheet at this point in time. And, and interestingly, when you look at our, our banking group, when we originally built this company, kind of around the time of the Leogold acquisition, the company's probably almost doubled in size in terms of scale and and uh, asset base. But we haven't actually changed our financing structure. So part of what we need to think about in twenty twenty two is just maturing our capital structure. Um, you know, maybe not having as much reliance on a call it shorter term floating rate revolver. And maybe we put a bond in place that just extends the duration and maybe fix that coupon in a pretty low historic uh, interest rate environment. Right. It's, it's, that would be interesting. Just to understand how you, how you do tidy that up, what you do use that cash for. Obviously, I don't think you're going to cash in, in any of the equities that you've got at the moment. Well, are you? You wouldn't, wouldn't make sense. They wouldn't, the companies well, wouldn't be happy. The way we think of it, you know, with Solaris, we spun that out two years ago. It probably had a 50 million market cap. It's now one, one and a half billion dollars Canadian, whatever that number is. I've looked recently, but they've had a fantastic run and they're showing that they've got a, potentially a world-class porphyry there in Ecuador. And, you know, we've said, and I think Ross has publicly said in some of our webcasts, you know, probably within 12 to 18, maybe 24 months, likely that'll have so much interest from the, the major copper producers around the world that need scale and growth that, uh, you know, it'll get taken out at some point. I mean, there's no guarantees, but that's a possibility. So we see ourselves with Richard Wark owning 40, 50% of that stock. And, you know, we're just under 20. And I think he's in the mid twenties, if not the high twenties, and we can ultimately deliver that like he's done with most of his big copper projects in the past. Um, I-80 is a little different story. We know we own about $150 million stake in that U.S. Um, when we spun it out and Ewan went off to run it after buying Premier Gold, you know, we bought Premier for, I think it was almost half a billion US in terms of market cap. I-80 now has a market cap very similar to that, not quite, but very similar. And we own 30% of it. And that's a Nevada-based um, 
he's just done an asset swap with Barrick, but essentially a Nevada-based growth-oriented gold company. So strategically, that one is more interesting long-term where, you know, it's just in our backyard. We're just across the Nevada border in California with our operations. So, you know, if he can turn that into a three to 400,000 ounce plus producer in due course, and there's some work to be done there, you know, us owning 30% isn't a bad place to be. No, we, yeah, we've had we've had you and on. Oh, we also particularly like Solaris. I think it's a great. So I think it's still got a lot of growth in it as well. Sure. So let's come back to your growth component. So with, with the cash that you've got, we can clean up balance sheets and so forth and move things around on on the spreadsheet. But with regards to the cash you've got, how do you allocate that? Is it all about trying to optimize the projects that you've got now? in terms of efficiencies, um, in terms of actual ounces coming out of the ground, is all that money going back into the projects or is there a possibility of a dividend anytime soon? Yeah, I'm going to say not quite yet. Um, it's more likely once Greenstone's up and running. You know, a lot of our capital will go towards, well, finishing off Santa Luz. That's a small project that'll be done this year. So most of it will go into focusing on Greenstone over the next two, two and a bit years. And so I don't think you're going to see us paying a dividend until that's got clarity and a finish line in sight. And we're generating the cash flow from that because that's going to be a massive Canadian uh, mine that'll be third or fourth largest in Canada. And so we'd like to see our, our dollars put into the ground there. We think the return is better by doing that. And then eventually, once that's done, there'll be excess cash flow to start returning to shareholders. Okay, fantastic. And with regards to um, the kind of extending life of mine with uh, Fazenda, Mesquite, Arizona, I mean, I mean, what are we talking about? You're not going to double life of mine here, are you? Are you what's, what's your ambition with those? And you know, how yeah. do you how do you fill those up when when they start running running out? I mean, what, the kind of growth profile is what I'm interested in. Yeah, and you hit the right ones there. We, we will spend most of our exploration dollars around the mines that have less than a 10 year mine life. So, Mesquite, um, we just added almost three quarters of a million ounces to resource uh, just recently. We put a result our results out this year. Uh, we're still drilling away there. So we see conversion to reserves and ultimately adding resource. That one, you're probably not going to see a big bang doubling of the mine life. You'll add a year or two every year or two. And maybe in the longer term, you can kind of double mine life when you go across the highway. So that one's kind of more of a work in progress every year you add a bit. Um, Arizona, we just put out a study a few weeks ago um, that almost doubled the mine life. And it comes from underground and a bit of the open pit. And we see more open pit uh, deposits potentially along strike there and definitely more coming from the underground as we drill. So that one you'll see us put dollars into and continue to advance that. And, you know, we've done the big bang sort of almost doubling a mine life this year. Now I think it'll be a bit more incremental and it's 11 year mine life as we speak. And then um, the other one, Fazenda, we think of Fazenda and Santa Luz as almost one complex uh, Santa Luz has a 10-year mine life when it gets up and running at the end of this year. Fazenda is probably five or six right now, but it's one of those old sort of school underground mines where you kind of drill just a bit ahead of you, add a year or two here and there. You never kind of add five or 10 years unless you get into one solid area that you're going to be able to massively expand. But I think what you'll see there is that complex, we've grabbed a bunch of exploration ground between the two of them. We're drilling them right now. There should be drill results out publicly in the next month or two. And what I think it'll show is that there's a 70 kilometer greenstone belt between the two of them. We've grabbed uh, a bunch of exploration concessions that were put up for auction this year. And you'll see that whole complex grow. And we see it like Arizona. We've got two core districts in Brazil that have potential to grow and be sort of multi-mine districts. And, uh, you know, we'll keep investing in that as well. So I'm, so I'm, I'm kind of really intrigued by the, the kind of the hit team that you're putting together in Vancouver to be able to help the different operational teams to 
do the optimization because to go from even to go from six to five up to a million, it, that, that's that's significant, right? You know, yeah. I get Greenstone's coming in, and you, you, you know, and hopefully Los Velos, you know, comes back on at some point. But you're going to have to do some real heavy. Uh, work on the current assets to kind of you know move, move up to that million dollar mark. So, w- w- what sort of timeline are we looking at? How you know how confident are you though that the efficiencies will come? I.e., this ASIC number will come down because there's a sort of mental block. I think with sort of, certainly with retail or family offices, they're like if it's above a thousand bucks, it's Probably not attractive. People, people are attracted if it gets below that ma- that kind of magic number. And I know that's not necessarily the real world, but that's just perception as reality, right? So, how how are you going to allocate this uh, sort of hit squad that you've got? You're building up from Vancouver to the various companies, and you know what are you targeting them all with? So basically, each of our projects will have a dedicated project team because they're also in very different regions and cultures and that. So Brazil has its own, which a lot of them are involved with Arizona build uh, two years ago. In Ontario, we've got a group of a uh, team that's building up a structure that has Exagnico team that helped build some of the Northern Canadian mines. And so those will be very discreet and they'll focus on that. There'll be oversight from Vancouver looking at project controls, capital allocation, cash flow, how they're financed, uh, the technical aspects and challenges that will sort of kind of assist in these processes and review them and give the oversight. Um, and we'll focus on getting Santa Luz done this year. And as that's coming to a finish line, which it's getting pretty close to right now, uh, the attention goes to Greenstone. And that'll be a two-year process. And really, um, you'll be looking at, call it seven or 800,000 ounces of production next year with Santa Luz coming online. And then you've got that next step change will happen in 2024 as you get Greenstone into production. And with each of these coming in, you have reduced costs because these are more efficient, longer life, you know, higher quality mines. And uh, along the way, we may sell one or two mines as well. Well, that, that may help. That's what I want to ask you about because, like, you know, because yeah. is, is that part of the responsibility in the remit of the the? the oh, sorry, I'm calling them a hit squad, but you know what I mean. The the the, the head the head office team are looking at and saying, example. Mercedes mine, come on, it's 30, 35 ounces. That doesn't touch the sides. We need more from you. Either do that or we sell you. I mean, do you know, you're going to have those sorts of conversations on a monthly or quarterly basis about what's the right thing to do here. Because you could sell, you could also equally buy. So are you constantly evolving that discussion, that, that, that conversation on a monthly or quarterly yeah, basis? Absolutely. And, and you're, you're bang on. You know, the two smallest mines will always be kind of, in the sites to to be discussed. So both Mercedes, which is probably 40 to 50,000 ounce producer at the moment has potential to go to 60, 70, 80. And then you've got RDM, which is 65,000 ounces at the moment. And, you know, they're looking at a plan to maybe go to 80 to hundred. So if they can achieve these kinds of levels, it becomes more interesting. But I do think if someone's willing to pay a reasonable price now um, in terms of multiples of cash flow or something, it might be interesting to us because that attention we'd spend on, call it even doubling the size of those small mines pales in comparison to looking at Greenstone where you're looking at hundreds of thousands of ounces or expanding Philos or getting Santa Luz on stream. So I think you could see at least one of those end up being sold. We did sell PLR obviously earlier this year, which was even smaller. And I think it shows discipline. And we had some shareholders saying, focus on a discrete, decent number of assets with some scalability to them uh, rather than actually spend your time at the lower end of your portfolio. And 
you know, it's a natural evolution we've seen in some of the bigger companies. I was at Endeavor Mining before, and as I was leaving, we were selling the small mines um, and focusing on the bigger ones and look where they are today. And in a sense that we're at an earlier stage of doing that kind of process and analysis, as you said. It's, see, that's, that's when, when we're talking efficiency, it's not just legislated at operational level, it's about, it's through you know, corporate as well, because, yeah. you know, a hundred thousand ounce a year producer for a and other company, single Alaska, around five, you know, being valued around 500 million market cap. Yeah. That just seems to be the, the, the norm for you. It's almost like you're, you're getting a discount to that because of everything else and all the other moving parts and perhaps it's a too big a story. And these, these are the trials and tribulations of billion dollar companies. The growth yep. story gets harder to tell. The ability to focus enough time on all of the moving parts becomes more complicated and you have a whole different set of challenges within your organization. And I think, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I wonder if you're suffering from a little bit of that. And it's not, you know, like I say, it's not just necessarily Los Beatles in the market, et cetera. It's a little bit of that. People going, this need, this, this needs a lot more focus from you guys. I think it's absolutely right. I think we've heard that directly from some of the investors. Please sell one or two of the small assets. You know, another option too is we've got a, a few exploration properties in Red Lake and parts of Ontario. And right now, I, I bet you don't even know we own them. And so, Maybe we spin them out like we did Solaris because actually most people didn't know we owned those and look at it now. And, you know, that's another way to call it a surface value at least. Um, so I agree. We've got to keep with the discipline at the cult, the smaller end of our portfolio, keep our attention focused on delivering and executing at the bigger end. And, you know, historically, if you look at some of the multiples paid in our sector for, you know, mid-sized companies, if you have more than, I don't know if it's 30, 35% of your portfolio in development assets, sometimes you get that reduction in your overall multiple because it's it's got risk, it's got development risk to it. And so part of our job here is to continue to bring these ones in, execute on them and make a bigger proportion of our portfolio producing and obviously consistently producing um, at a good cost. And the other battle that's coming up today too, and something that we haven't touched on yet, but uh, you know, inflation is out there and that's something to keep an eye on. And we're certainly building some projects and we're seeing uh, some of our ongoing operations start to talk about fuel. Obviously, fuel prices are going up at the moment, but some of the reagents, maybe some labor and that. So it's another area to keep an eye on, I think, as we move forward into 2022 as well. Is it transitory? Is it permanent? How do you manage it? How do you get discounts? We're going to go to joint purchasing initiatives across our portfolios. And so there's lots of work to be done there as well. Yeah, I think those are conversations that people have wanted to have or excuses that they've wanted to discuss you know, over the past three, four months. But, you know, I, I, I think you're all in the same boat, right? All your costs are going up equally. Um, yep. it's labor's hard to get a hold of. COVID has impacted costs, transportation, fuel, you know, everything's gone up for you guys. It's, it's a tough environment for sure. But, you know, you've got to, you've got to be as efficient as you can be given that just like everyone else has been. So I've been fascinated, you know, hear from you the things that you are looking at the the moves that you could make and you've got the options to be able to make you've got a lot of cash available to you too so now look i'm sure that look i've really enjoyed the update christine i mean um like i said you're, you're busy being very busy and i think you know you want to now show the market you've moved from pure m a through to an operationally successful company but you haven't necessarily entirely lost the entrepreneurial and m a um thought process in there to keep your options alive. No, it's been a good session. Thank you. It's a, it's a fine balance and uh, it's hard work. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> Who would want to be a CEO of a mining company, Christian? 
it's a heck of a lot of fun too, though, I have to admit. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, stay in touch. See you soon. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.